Um, March 16, 2011, my husband is on the other side of the world, which is weird. When I talk to him, it's like trying to wrap your brain around that. I'm talking to somebody who's on the other side of the globe. It just, it doesn't compute. It's pretty amazing. Um, but I feel it spiritually, and that's kind of where this message is birthed out of. Imagine that. God used something that you're going through. Um, it's been interesting. Um, I'm good. We're doing good. Matt always asks me, How, how's everybody doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. We have our moments, but we're doing good. Um, as y'all notice, Chloe, usually every worship service, Chloe breaks down. She connects with her dad through worship. So for him not to be up here leading worship, it, it affects her. That's when she gets affected by it. Um, Natalie's very quiet, so she doesn't show much of it, but I know it's affecting her. Um, and the others as well, but really, I've got you know, I've got four kids, so um, I have a microcosm of society. I feel like I've got all these different personalities represented, so I get to see like this little petri dish of interactions constantly. And um, the other day, Sydney, um, Sydney is very much like me, bless her heart, <laughs> and she. Uh, She's got this little thing in her where she likes to provoke any and get her upset. And I just, I got really mad. Um, Emmy has had some issues in preschool where she's pushed people down and she bit Josiah on the shoulder. I just like, come on. Yeah. She says, she says, I don't bite Josiah. That's bad. I'm like, yes, it's bad. Don't do that. So Sydney. Emmy had been very good. She hadn't hit anybody. She hadn't scratched anybody in a couple weeks. And I noticed one morning she was sitting in her high chair, and Sydney was whispering in her ear. And I said, what are, you, what are y'all talking about? And she says, nothing. And I'm like, so I'm just kind of listening. I'm pretending like I'm not, but I start pick up on it. She's asking Emmy about scratching people. Did you scratch Megan at school? Did you scratch Brendan? Were you mean to your friends? She's asking Emmy this. Now, Emmy's been doing good for like three weeks. She's been great. We trimmed her fingernails. I beat her. <laughs> she, she was great. That day, after Sydney whispered those things and talked to her about it, she went to school and she bit Josiah. I'm like, it's Sydney. She provoked her. She, put, she planted that little seed. Why does she do that? What is she doing? I got really angry at her, and I thought... God, that's such wickedness. Why, why would she do that? And I started to think, mm, she's very much like me. And I remember being in nursery school. I was like um, four or five. And I went to this little daycare. And there was this little boy named Lamar. And I don't know whatever happened to Lamar, bless his heart, because I tortured him. I hope he turned out okay. But me, me and this other girl, this, and I don't even remember who the other girl was. I just remember it was me and this other girl because we got our mouths washed out with soap. But we would provoke Lamar. We would get him upset. He was like a new kid that came in. I mean, you know, our little society of nursery school, we saw him as a weak link, and we attacked him. And we would tell him... Your mama's not coming to pick you up. Your mama doesn't love you anymore. She's not coming to pick you up. I mean, it's horrible. Like, oh my God, how wicked was that? Like, why did I do that? That's, I mean, it's horrifying that I would pick on somebody like that. Because for the rest of my childhood, I, I remember being a pretty sweet kid. I mean, I, I remember having conversations with God. I remember 
praying for my mom and dad who were very lost, you know, and I was praying for them. I remember all these tender moments with God throughout my childhood, but I also remember picking on this kid. Well, we got him to cry, and that was our goal. We got him, he cried, he broke down, and, you know, we went on. And then the next time he came to nursery school, we started picking on him again, and he said, my mama told me that y'all are liars. And I said, she was tricking you. She was tricking you. She, she called. She don't love you anymore. She's not coming to get you. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I would kill my kid if they did that. It was, you know, and we got him to cry again, but that's what we were after. Um, yeah, it's horrible. I'm embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. Well, the, the nursery teacher saw Lamar break down and found out what happened, and so we got our mouths washed out with soap, that yellow dial soap, you know, the original. Oh, I still know what that tastes like, and I was just chewing on my shirt, wiping it off, you know. It's awful. So um, I started dwelling on that, and what is it in me? What is it in Sydney? What is it in some of us? Maybe not everybody, but some of us that likes to provoke people. What is it? What? Why do we do this? Or what's the goal in this? So I started studying it, and I got the message tonight. So the message tonight is titled "Provoked." And if you're taking notes, I'm going to go over three things, or four things. I'm going to um, cover with y'all. What does it mean to provoke? What's the goal? What's the motivation behind provoking? What's the source? And what is our response slash our responsibility? So if we go to the, the first one, what does it mean to provoke? Um, to provoke means to stir up a desired feeling or an action. To stir up on purpose. There's intent in it. Um, it can mean to arouse. You ever heard the term provocative? Women that act provocative or dress provocative, they're trying to stir up something in someone. Um, it can mean to elicit, awaken, arousing to action, those things. It implies a movement, but it implies a movement in the wrong direction. So, whereas God motivates, the opposite of that would be to provoke. So if you think of this imagery, God is a shepherd, right? He leads his sheep. He goes before. He motivates them by his love. He draws us. He moves us with kindness. To be provoked is to be driven. That's the image of a goat, right? Where you're behind it and you're smacking it to get it to go somewhere. Cash, what was the, like, the simple like, definition yes. of to provoke? To provoke. Um, to stir up a desired feeling or action. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so that's what it means to provoke. What's the goal? Why do we? Why? Why do people provoke? Why did I provoke? What's the goal? We're looking for irritation, right? We're trying to irritate somebody, distress. Um, you want to cause a reaction. You want to cause fear or confusion. This is a pop. Uh, a prevalent theme in the Bible, you hear this stir of dissension. That's that's the goal of, of provoking, is to stir up dissension. Let, let's turn to um, 1 Samuel 1. Let's 
So this week, since Matt's been gone, it feels like longer than a week, though. Mm. But I'm not that halfway mark. Oh, I made it. Okay, I can start getting excited. <laughs> um, I have been provoked. I anticipated some serious warfare because every time Matt has gone to Mexico, there has been serious warfare. The first time he went to Mexico, I was about six or seven months pregnant with Emmy, and I went into labor the night before he left. And sit labor, just counting contractions, and he's like, this is not real. I'm like, mm, I'm having contractions. I don't know what to tell you. They hurt. They're regular. Tried to call Eric and Jen. Couldn't get a hold of them because... Eric had a headache so violent that it, he, I think he was throwing up and Jen was doing all she could just to get him to breathe through it. So this was all happening at the same time and then it broke about the same time. So that was one time when he went to Mexico. Other times there's been violent illnesses, um, just weird things that have happened. Uh, right before we, we went on our vacation in December to Disney World, we experienced a slew of weird illnesses and attacks from the enemy and then right before the India trip um, there were several things our cars got broken into there was a wreck there was just strange things that happened financial things that happened and so I was just like okay <laughs> this is just playtime because when he gets to India then the real battles can happen you know so I, the first few days there was just a, this ball in the pit of my stomach like I was just waiting for the shoe to drop Everywhere we go, we drive down the road, and I think, okay, is this it? Are we going to get in a wreck? Um, is one of the kids going to get sick? Uh, Natalie's climbing the tree. She can fall out and break her leg. What is it? What is the thing that we're going to have to battle? You know, it's probably going to be a slew of things, one, two, three, all together on the same day. So I just, like, anticipated it. And then I realized that was the shoe dropping. The devil had got me wound up. He was provoking me. He was provoking these emotions in me, this anxiety in me, and None of it had even happened. That was his trick. And I've been battling that for days now. And when I feel it come on me, as this message has been developing in my heart, I'm trying to put it into practice for your benefit. <laughs> I'm going to go through this this week. And it's been, it's been intense. Um, I'm addicted to Jesus' peace. Since I've entered his peace, I don't want to be out of it. And so any little bit of anxiety that tries to attach itself to me I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It, it sets me out of my element. And I'm used to my husband being there and talking me down. I call him up. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And he talks me down. And we pray and we read the word. Well, he's not here. And I can't call this person because they're going through that. Or this is going on. The Lord has surrounded me with obstacles and, and kind of pinned me in so that I'll depend on him through this. Because he's trying to teach me something. So let's get back to this. Um, the goal of being provoked, irritation. So I've been irritated, yes. Distress, I've been in distress. I've been worried that my husband's not coming back. Um, reaction, overreaction to things. Yes, my kids do something, overreaction. Um, I threw a dollhouse across the room the other day. <laughs> yeah, Natalie thinks it's really funny. Um, she, was, she wasn't awake yet. Sydney and Chloe were awake. After a dollhouse, I walked into the playroom and it was in the way and I had just cleaned the playroom and it was a disaster and there were grapes crushed into the carpet and Cheerios everywhere. I just got really, really mad and I overreacted and I picked up this dollhouse and I threw it from the kitchen into the dining room. And Sydney and Chloe just looked at me like, Mom is losing her mind. You know, they didn't know what to say. I'm like, oh, I'm tired of this being messy. And 
you know, then I had to go upstairs and repent and figure out how am I going to make this right with my kids. It just set a really bad example. Uh, your mom is, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. just had a moment. So, yeah, reaction. Yeah, I've had some reactions. Um, fear. Uh, yeah, I've been gripped by fear. I texted Jen one night. Tell me my husband's coming back. She's like, she calls me. <laughs> so I'm not even going to text you. God. What, what's going on? Why are you upset? Of course your husband's coming back. I'm like, yeah, I've already imagined I'm going to have to find a new husband. What am I going to do? I'm going to have to get, you know, I've got four kids. He's going to want to marry me. You know, like I'm going through all of this. I'm already over there and none of this has even happened. Confusion, not being able to see straight. Yes, all of this has happened to me. Okay, so I came across 1 Samuel 1, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. As you know, um, I have four children, but there was a time when I didn't have any children, and I was barren. And Charlie and Joellen knew me at that time. I'd experienced a couple miscarriages, and then um, I couldn't get pregnant. And it was a very, very difficult time for me. Uh, it was the it was the first major thing I ever had to go through in Jesus. We were um, married six months when we experienced our first miscarriage. And I had only been saved a year when we got married. So I was a baby Christian. And I thought, how could this happen to me? I belong to Jesus, you know. So um, went through several years of trying and failing and trying and failing. And this story I clung to because um, I saw so much of myself in Hannah. And now I see so much of myself in her in different ways. And I want to go through this, this story with you guys because I think her response, she experienced being provoked. We all do. And um, the way she handled it is a good guide for us. Okay, so we're going to start in verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zephonite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Have you guys seen that show, Sister Wives? That's on TV. No. Has anybody seen that? Have y'all heard? Yes. <laughs> okay. For, uh, it's a morbid curiosity for me. I'm just I'm drawn to this show because I'm like, how does this work? Because I would be in jail. I don't think I can see this. Sharing my husband, I'm enough for him. He can't handle anything else. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how they did it back then, but you can imagine the things they had to deal with. And then the situation is, is that one of them has children and the other one doesn't. And back then. It's shameful if you can't have children. I mean, you're looked down upon. So verse 3, Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Who had closed her womb? The Lord. So this is not just some strange attack from the enemy. She's experienced a circumstance that God has placed her in. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Now that said, that sentence says a lot because it says her rival. So there was obviously some other strife going on there. There were already rivals. And she kept provoking her. What's the goal? To irritate her. 
Why? What was her problem? She had children, right? She was provided for, but it wasn't enough for her because she was, she was jealous. And part of her was a little conceited, I would imagine, because if, uh, let's see, I think that scripture's in Deuteronomy 7. Can, um, Mr. Steve, can you read Deuteronomy 7, 12 through 14 for us? This gives us a perspective on what people thought about bearing women. Deuteronomy 12. 12, 7, 12 through 14. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord will keep this covenant, his covenant of love with you as he swore to your forefathers. He will give... He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, the grain, new wine and oil, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks in the land that he swore to your forefathers to give you. Verse 14 says, You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless. And the first part of that was, if you, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then these things will happen. None of your men or women will be childless. So what do you think she was telling her? You're a sinner. Something's wrong with you. You're obviously not pleasing to the Lord, or you would have these things. Part of understanding the goal or the motivation of um, provoking is understanding the source. So what is the source? Okay, it can come through people like Panana or circumstances, but ultimately, Satan's the source. His ultimate goal and motivation is to steal, kill, and destroy. So in contrast, God leads us. Like in Psalm 23, we see that God's the shepherd. God motivates. Um, we experience uh, life and peace when we're led by the Spirit. Okay? But Satan's motivation is to steal, kill, and destroy. So fill in the blanks. This looks differently in everybody's situation. In my situation this week, Satan's provoking me with these fears about my husband. He's trying to steal my peace. He's trying to kill my faith. He's trying to destroy my walk. So what is he trying to steal from you? Is he trying to steal blessings from you? Is he killing your confidence? Is he trying to destroy relationships? So is he provoking you about someone else? Is he telling you something about someone else to get you upset about something they said or something they did? He's trying to steal your inheritance in Jesus, whatever you've been called to, whatever Jesus has blessed you with. Satan's trying to steal that. He's trying to kill your dreams. So what has the Lord told you that you're going to do for him? And Satan's trying to kill that. And he's trying to destroy your future because if you lose confidence in what God's blessed you with or what God's spoken to you, then how are you ever going to receive it? How are you ever going to achieve that? So for Hannah... 
Let's read in back to 1 Samuel in verse 7. It says that this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. So it looks like he stole her joy. He caught, he wants, he's causing her unhappiness. He's killing her faith because she's thinking, but I've done everything the Lord's required and yet I do not see the promises. And he's trying to destroy her destiny. He's trying to cause her to turn from the Lord. And then, then she would never bear children. She would never receive what the destiny was. Verse 8. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So her initial response to this situation is she would she wept and she would not eat. Um, that, to me, I recognize that is depression. That's something I'm very familiar with. Um, I know a lot of you have suffered with that. Uh, we talked about um, provoking, causing a movement. In this case, it caused an absence of movement. It caused inactivity in her, which is a movement in the wrong direction. She felt insufficient. So I was feeling depressed this week. I was having a good cry. And my beautiful mother-in-law stopped by to check on me. And she said, looks like you're a little depressed. And I said, I am. I am. This is too much. This is too big. I don't know what to do. She said, you're just feeling sorry for yourself. I was like, yeah, I guess I am. I guess I am feeling sorry for myself. She said, you're feeling sorry for yourself because your husband's gone. Isn't that a good reason to feel sorry for myself? This is hard. I've got four kids. I've got to do this all by myself. But see, the circumstances are real. In my case, the circumstances are real. Yes, my husband's gone. Yes, I've got the weight of the household on my shoulders. Okay? My circumstances are real. That's true. In Hannah's situation, her circumstances were real. Her womb was closed. That's real. She's not denying that. The pokes from the enemy are real. Right? The enemy's been attacking me. Been lying to me. That's real. Her adversary is attacking her, provoking her. Those are real. All those things are out of our control. I can't control the enemy from doing that. He's going to attack me because I'm dangerous to him. That's good. That makes me feel good. But we can't control our response. So a lot of times when we have that wave of depression that comes over us, um, we feel like it's too big for us. It's out of our control. This is a chemical thing. I can't control this. We have a responsibility, though. We see Elkanah trying to encourage her. You know, eat something. Don't don't be upset about this. Look at what you are blessed with. I love you. Isn't that enough for you? But the circumstances are real to her, okay? She's not denying those things, but what does she do? We'll find, okay, we'll read that in a second. But let me tell you this, okay? Um, I've developed this theory called the Charlie Horse Theory and how to deal with depression. When I am depressed, what I want to do is curl up in a ball and get in my bed and pull the covers over my head and don't talk to anybody. Just, can you take care of the kids? I'm going to get in the bathtub. I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to have a good cry. I don't, you know, I don't want to do anything. When you have a Charlie horse, I get them in my calves, especially when you're pregnant. You get 
something to look forward to, Irma. <laughs> and what your, what your body wants to do is, so your muscles contracting, right? My calf muscles contracting. So what my body wants to do is to point my toe even more and contract that muscle even more. Okay? And I know what's going to fix it is to flex back. But oh my God, it's so painful. And um, whenever I would get them, I'd wake up Matt because I can't reach my toe. I'm big and pregnant. Where's my foot? Where's my foot? Where's my foot? So he'd push it. I'm like, wrong direction. Don't push it this way. He'd push it. That's not our natural response. Our natural response is to stay that way, but it's not going to solve the Charlie horse. We have to move in the opposite direction where we know it's pain, but we have to stretch in the opposite direction. And it's the same thing with depression. When we feel this desire to run into our bedrooms, to, to close the blinds, to shut the world off, we have to run from that because the, Jesus is bigger than, than depression. I know there are chemical um, issues, but don't fight for the right, as Brandon said, don't fight for the right to be a victim. Don't fight for the right to stay depressed because it's not what God's called you to. There's victory on the other side of it. When I got born again, I was on medication for depression. And I started dating Matt. And about two months into it, our relationship was starting to get serious. And he says, I don't want you on this medication. I'm like, oh, but I need it. He said, I'm going to have to take it probably for the rest of my life. How could you tell me this? He's like, Jesus is bigger than that. We're going to pray for you. You're going to get healed. Well, what if Jesus doesn't heal me? What if he chooses not to? Why am I fighting to stay dependent on something when Jesus is trying to give me victory? I'm telling you, absolutely, you don't have to be on any kind of medication because Jesus is our, our great physician. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to bring condemnation on anybody. You'd be led by the Lord if the Lord is bringing you through the route of medication to get you a certain place. That, that's fine. But don't think that you have to stay on something. Jesus is what you have to stay on. He'll heal you from that. From that. I, I know this from experience, I'm telling you. Um, we, we like to fight for that right because we want to have a pity party. I like to throw them. Y'all know when y'all come over to my house, I like to cook. When my pity parties are big. Um, so I'm, <laughs> my responsibility, number one, is not to fight for the right to be a victim. Number two, when I feel that depression coming on me, I need to make an effort to respond to the encouragement that the Lord's providing for me. So in Hannah's case, Elkanah's encouraging her. Get up. Eat something. Remember what the Lord has blessed you with. Okay, well, we can choose just to say, you don't understand. You've never wanted a child like I've wanted a child. You know, you have children with her. You don't understand what I'm going through. No, we have a responsibility to respond to whatever God's put in your place. So whether it's Jennifer pulling you in the corner and saying, hey, what's going on with you? Or Eric counseling you in his office and saying, hey, stop this. This is sin. Let's move on from here. You have a responsibility to respond to what God's providing for you. He's trying to pull you out. Don't buck against it. And the question to ask yourself when you're feeling these, this, these pity parties someone, and you don't want to come to church or you don't want to go to the ladies' fellowship, or you don't want to go to the men's meeting or go camping or whatever it is, ask yourself this. If I don't go, will I be better off? Am I going to benefit from this decision if I, do, if I just give in to my Charlie horse? Am I going to benefit from this? Because even if you can talk yourself into, yes, I'll benefit because I'm really just not feeling good and I don't think I should go spread my germs at church tonight. If you can talk yourself into that, then think, well, what about the guilt you're going to have to deal with the next day? Because you're going to wake up and you're going to realize you made a bad decision. 
Okay, so that was just a side note on depression. I'm sorry. I had to go there. That's really good. Okay. Uh, I don't know why I'm so nervous tonight. I think it's just my husband's not here, and I feel weird. I'm sorry, y'all. You know, I just have to forgive me. I'm all over the place. Okay. Um, so we talked about what is our, what is the source, what is the ultimate motivation. So what is our response to being provoked? So we'll go into this two things. What is our response? And then we'll talk about what is our responsibility as a provoker, a poker. Okay, how many of y'all are on Facebook? You can raise your hand. Okay, y'all know the little poke thing? Yeah. I don't understand that. (laughs) Poke poke Natalie. Okay, I poked her. And then she pokes me back. What does that mean? I don't understand it. (laughs) This is a different type of poking. Okay. So Hannah's response. Let's look at Hannah's response. This is so beautiful. The Lord showed me some stuff in this today, and I'm I'm just loving this. Okay, verse 9. Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Let me stop there. Later on in the story, find out she, she hadn't eaten, okay, but she brought herself to the table. So she's making an effort there. She still doesn't feel well enough to eat, but she's making an effort. She's moving in the right direction. Okay. So this is Hannah's response. Number one, Hannah stood up. I like that. Mm -hmm. Hannah stood up. Okay, I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm not going to sit here and be be beaten down by someone else or by a lie. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to move. So here's where being provoked is a good thing, right? She was roused to action. She's beginning to move in the right direction. The enemy wants her to be inactive and ineffective. Because if you don't move, what kind of effect are you having on anyone or your circumstance? If she just sat at the table and didn't eat one more service, one more time they were at the temple, never brought it before the Lord, then what's going to change? Brandon, can you go to Ephesians 6.13 for us? And Lindsay, 1 Corinthians 10.13. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand uh, after you have done everything to stand stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist Okay, that's good Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. That's what Hannah's doing right now. She is going to stand her ground. She's not going to be pushed around anymore. Yes, this is a true situation that I'm in. Yes, my womb is closed. But that doesn't mean I have to sit here and take it from you anymore. Okay, Lindsay, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That is what Hannah did. So mark that in your first Samuel, first Corinthians ten thirteen. She's standing up. The Lord's providing a way out for her. She doesn't have to just sit there and be this barren woman. That's not his will for her. Okay, so number two. <coughs> Are we losing children back there? <laughs> as long as it's not mine, I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> so, the next part of Hannah's response, number two. 
verse 10. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. So is it a good thing to go to the Lord and complain? Is that okay? It looks like it. It looks like it's the right thing for her to do, right? She's bringing her emotions to him. Miss Terry, can you read um, Psalm 51, 17? I would, darling, but I don't have my glasses. You don't have your glasses. Miss Lynette, can you? Psalm 51, 17. Pastor Eric's been preaching on this, and this I like this scripture. Does the Lord want to hear your complaint? Does the Lord want to hear what you have to say? Psalms 51, 17. Yes, ma'am. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, will you will you not despise? Eric's been saying contrite means deflated. <clears throat> I felt pretty deflated this week. Um, just like I'm addicted to to God's presence, to His peace, I'm I'm addicted to my husband's presence. You know, I, the Lord has provided that for me. It's a good thing. It's a blessing to have a husband. I am thankful for him. And when he's gone, I notice it. I don't like getting in the bed by myself. I don't like going to sleep by myself. I'm worried. You know, something's going to happen. Um, what if the kids get sick? What if like three of them at one time are sick? What am I going to do? <laughs> you know, just little things. Um, but I felt pretty deflated. Like, how am I going to... I need to be strong for them because whatever they see on me is how they're going to act. I need to be excited about what God's doing. And I am excited about what God's doing with, with them in India. Um, it's a blessing because I know that his heart is being changed and he's going to come back closer to Jesus. How can that not be a blessing? He's going to be a blessing to other people. That's a blessing. I'm glad he's doing those things. But there's... There's issues with me because I'm I'm weak and um, I'm carnal and I like things the way I like them. You know, I like my husband there to complain to, but this this week has forced me to depend on Jesus in a different way than I ever have before, and that's a good thing. And it says He doesn't despise that. That's comforting to me because we like to say, "Suck it up," you know, "Put on your big girl." Pants. Act like a woman. <laughs> Act like a man. You know, don't be a pansy about these things. Do what you got to do. People ask me all the time, how do you how do you do it with four girls? I'm like, I don't. You just, I mean, they'll die if you don't. So you have to. You just do it. <laughs> and it's the same kind of situation. You know, you kind of. It's like he's gone. Um, nobody's gonna come over and pat me on the back and say, oh, poor Cass, poor Cass. You know, it's like, okay, this is hard, but you can do this. Um, Miss Joellen's been a great source to me this week too. <laughs> I've talked to her a couple times, and she doesn't she doesn't mess around about it. It's not like, oh, poor baby, I know this is tough. Come here, let me just you just cry on my shoulder. No, she says, you're a woman of God. You can do this. <laughs> okay, if you think so, <laughs> no, but okay. Um, uh, let's go. Where's Angie? There she. Angie, go to Second Corinthians ten five. This is me and Angie's scripture. We couldn't find this scripture at the ladies' retreat <laughs> for months before the ladies' retreat. I think at the ladies' retreat we finally found it. 
Second Corinthians. I'm like, Second Corinthians? Who even reads that book? I never read Second Corinthians. <laughs> <laughs> of all places, there's something good in there. Yeah. So, yes, there's something good in Second Corinthians. <laughs> I know, I'm terrible. My husband's going to kill me when he hears that. <laughs> okay, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Have y'all heard me talk about mental exaggerations? I put that on Facebook a couple weeks ago. I like that. Mental exaggerations. That is a game I like to play. And it's called, this is a possible scenario. See how far you can take it. <laughs> so I will imagine, okay, I need to talk to so-and-so about this situation. But if I do, she's going to say this. And then I'm going to say this. And then she's going to say that. And then, then it's going to turn to a big thing. So you know what? It's really not that big of a deal. I'll just let it go. Okay, or um, I, like I said earlier, what if my husband doesn't come back? Okay, well then I've got at least, you know, a little while I'll be able to pay off the house and I'll be okay for a couple months. And then um, what am I going to do? I mean, am I going to have to go to work? I'm going to be able to homeschool about this vision God's placement, you know, go for all these mental exaggerations. By the end, I'm exhausted and nothing has happened. Nothing is how well, I, I don't know if men do. Do y'all do this, men? No. Y'all don't do this. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> okay, y'all can just go to children's church. I'll just talk to the women in. Because <laughs> I know we do this, right? Don't we do this? I mean, I do this in the grocery store when I'm debating between apples and plums. Well, if I get the plums, they might rotten. They might they might ripen too quick, and then Sydney won't eat them. But Natalie will, and then, you know, whatever. She buys some apples. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> so mental exaggerations. These are these pretensions. Um, pretension, I define it as a pretend situation. A pretend situation. So we demolish arguments. These arguments that we have back and forth with the devil. Uh, this is going to happen. No, it's not. Okay, well, maybe, what if it did happen? Let me imagine that. So we move from these arguments into a pretend situation. Okay, no. The word says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. It's like it built a little shanty on the side of God's word. You know? We demolish it. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. This is an exercise. Okay, so Hannah went before the Lord. Let's go back to 1 Samuel. Are y'all still there? Okay. So Hannah went before the Lord. She stood up first. She wept before the Lord. She brought her emotions and submission to Him. She took every thought captive. And she brought it to Him. Verse 10. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. This is my favorite part of the whole story. Verse 11, And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. This is number three. This is Hannah's response. Number three, she made a vow of exchange. Remove this affliction from me, and the life I receive, I'm going to give back to you. 
Remove this torture from me. Remove this shame from me. However you see fit. Because God didn't have to give her a son. I mean, she wasn't guaranteed that that was going to happen. But she said, Whatever, would you give me? I'm going to turn around and I'll give it right back to you. Just remove this from me. Remember me. Write this on a side note. Psalm 102 is a good guide of how to complain correctly to the Lord. We're not going there. I'm sorry. Y'all flip it. Okay, verse 12. Psalm 102. Okay, verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Wow, like friendly fire, right? So she's provoked again, this time by a misunderstanding. But the source is still the same, right? What's the goal here? He's trying to get her upset. She's going before the Lord. She's trying to do the right thing. And the priest, who's supposed to recognize these things and be mediating for her, is now attacking her. But look at her response. Beautiful. Number four, her response. She refuses to accept accusation. So we've got to take a stand and refuse to accept accusation from the enemy. He wants us to think that we have done something so wrong that we are no longer in right standing with Jesus. And we no longer deserve the blessings of the Lord. That's where he wants us. But she acts humbly. She says, 15, Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. That's that gentle answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 10:12 says, Hatred stirs up dissension. She had a right to respond to him. I mean, you can call it a right. She had a right to respond to him and say, How dare you? I'm hurt. I'm weeping before the Lord. But she didn't. She was humble. So in verse um, verse 17, she receives a blessing. That's number five in Hannah's response. She receives a blessing. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. 18, she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. So at that moment, she's not pregnant. (laughs) She's not received what she asked the Lord for, but she's showing trust in her actions. That's number six in her response. She showed trust in her actions. Whatever it is, Lord, I've I've given it to you now, and now I'm going to walk away, and I'm going to trust that you're going to give me life. Um, We don't always receive what we ask. Jesus asked the Lord in the garden, if it is at all possible, can you take this cup from me? And it wasn't. But that's okay. He got up and he did it anyway. Or maybe we don't receive things immediately. When I begged the Lord, begged the Lord for a child, many, many nights in church, at home, on my knees, weeping for the Lord, it was three years before I received Natalie. Three years almost to the day since she was born. That's a lot of monthly cycles to be disappointed. But when we 
deal with the pressure of the provoke correctly. The goal is to receive life and blessing, life and peace. Okay, so what is our responsibility in all of this? We see what our response should be if we are provoked, when we are provoked, because we're provoked on a daily basis. That's what the enemy's goal is. Steal, kill, and destroy. So our responsibility is to not be used as a tool of the enemy. When you understand what the goal of being of provoking is and what the true source of it is, then you really don't want to participate in that, right? I don't want, yeah, I'm just not going to do that. Um, Let's go to Galatians 5.26. Can't uh, I must have missed what number four was on the, our response list? Like, Refuse yeah. to accept the accusation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. That is that's Penina right there. That's her that's her little name label. She was conceited about her position in the household. She had born children. She must be in right standing with the Lord. And she envied the way that Elkanah loved Hannah. And so she provoked. And that's what we do. Um, last year when Eric was in India and he was gone for the planned two weeks. Jen was handling it beautifully. Everybody, you know, nobody expected anything differently from her. She's a strong, amazing woman. But when the volcano happened and the ash cloud came, and we didn't know it was going to be another two weeks. It was every day. What's the latest? Is he going to be able to get on a plane? Are we going to put him on a boat? Are we going to send him through the Pacific? Are we going to send him the other way around? You know, what, what's the plan every day? And it stretched on for two weeks. She's still handling it beautifully. But I began to see people well-meaning, but almost trying to provoke her. I felt like, and I'm protective over her. I love her. She's my best friend. The Lord has knit us together. And I felt like some people were provoking her. They were trying to get a rise out of her, trying to see, oh, you must be so upset. How are you doing this? Oh, you must be so lonely. Are the kids worried? like they were trying just to kind of jab just a little bit to see if she would break. I thought, that's so mean. Why are you trying to get a ride? you trying to see where her soft spot is? And really, we do this. You might not notice this, but you do this to people when you um, say things well-meaning, but really your motivation is, where's their soft spot? And it's one or two reasons. Either you think you're better than them, or you envy something about them, or both. I do it, it's done to me. I know we've all, I mean, this is just sinful nature here. This is not a male-female issue. This is, this is just sinful nature. Um, in leadership, that's, that's a, uh, a trap that we can fall into of thinking, well, God favors me, I'm in leadership, so you know, I know better than this person or whatever. You can even fall into the trap of being conceited, thinking you have a better standing with God for whatever reason. I've been saved longer than this person that just came into the church. How dare them tell me anything in the Word? You know? And you provoke them. You try to try to get a rise out of them. Micah 6.8 is probably one of my favorite scriptures. 
And there's this little plaque at Hobby Lobby right now, and it's on this, and I'm going to go get it. <laughs> I love it. It's so beautiful. Micah 6, 8. No, I memorized this a couple weeks ago. Do you remember it? Do you want to say it? Okay, would you say it really loud? He has showed you. You want to say it? He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To me, this is a counteraction to the steal, kill, and destroy. Act justly. That's the opposite of stealing. Love mercy. That's the opposite of killing something in somebody. When you see someone with a weakness, you have mercy on them. You don't try to kill what's, what's alive in them. Walking humbly, that's the opposite of trying to destroy someone by your great prowess and strength. We need to be careful with our tongue. Um, a lot of times when we say things to people, it's, in our, it's not necessarily what you're saying, but it's in your tone or your timing. So coming up to someone right after they've heard some horrible news is not the time to go, oh, I heard about that, I'm so sorry, you know, and, and try to poke them about it. We need to be careful about these things. I know, I'm, I'm over time. I want to go to Luke 19 real quick. We'll go over this real quick. The Lord showed me this the other day about Zacchaeus. I'm going to read it real quick and I'm going to let y'all go. Okay. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So plenty to envy there, right? You can be conceited about Zacchaeus over him, right? Because, oh, he's a tax collector. But you could also be envious of his wealth. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. This just stood out to me. It's not like he had a big theological debate with Zacchaeus. It's not like he told him, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been looking for. You're a sinner. Man, what you've been doing is wrong. Look at all these people you've hurt. He called him by his name and said, I want to spend time with you. How many people are out there just waiting to be recognized by the Lord? That's all it's going to take for them. Amen. Just to know that the Lord knows their name. Amen. That the Lord wants to spend time to them. But we act like the crowd and we push them up a tree because we're better than them or we're envious of their, their standing. We have a responsibility not to be the provoker in these scenarios. There are people out there, there's your neighbors, there's the people you work with, there's the people in the grocery store. I have a hard time, since we moved here, that it's great cultural diversity here. And my initial response to the Hindus and the Muslims was hatred and disgust. Oh, you wicked, idolatrous people. Y'all aren't even worth being saved. And the Lord has been correcting me about that. These people, we've gotten to know a lot of people through the kids being in school and different activities. 
And these people are people. They're just people. And they just need to know that the Lord knows their name. And that He wants to spend time with them. And how dare we be conceited and provoke them and overlook them or push them up a tree so they have to find Jesus that way. We're supposed to be His hands and feet. Okay, guys, that's all I got. I know I went over and it's kind of rambling, but thank y'all for being so sweet. There's good stuff going on in the Piro house all the time. The Piro family, the, the girls, Natalie leading the pack. There's good stuff in the Piro family all the time. There's all this love and there's all this stuff and good cooking, good stuff, good fellowship, all the time. But especially uh, a lot of love wherever you go there, you feel it. There, there's somebody in here, I'm not sure who it is, but I'm going to ask you. We, we need somebody here as a prayer warrior and has had this on their heart. We need to pray for the families that are on the of the people who are on the mission trip. Cassie, you heard her heart. She misses her husband. Husband's in a foreign place. My wife hates it when I'm gone two or three days. He's gone a long time. This is really a big test for this church and for these folks. Somebody in here has got this on their heart to pray for the mission trip people and the families here. Does anybody feel led to do that? Diana, please pray. you because you are the king of kings and lord of lords. You are the mighty one of Israel. We worship you and in your presence we come before you and we lift up Cassidy to you. We lift the girls to you. We know that you have the best for them. We know that you hold them under the shadow of your wing, that they are dear to you, that you obliterate the enemy in her path and that you clear her path for her and that you make her way straight. You keep all evil away from her. And we just prophesy to those things that would come against her thoughts, the things that would come against her this, in, in the car or anywhere else, that those things are bound. And we can say this with confidence, because greater is Jesus who is in us than he who is in the world. And we stand in your presence, Lord. And we speak peace. And we speak harmony. And we speak a gentle path for the second half of Matt's homecoming. That this would just go so smoothly. And that her thoughts would dwell on you. And that all the word that you built up in her and all the worship that you built up in her would dwell up in her. And those thoughts would replace demons that have been harassed the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray for each of the wives. And we pray for, for Jennifer. Wow. Two Jennifers. We pray for both Jennifers. We pray for Jennifer Hutchison, Lord, that you would just encompass her with your peace, that you would bring incredible blessing and joy on her household, that she would sense your presence like never before, that she would have a wonderful time of blessing and peace, and that she would see incredible things from your hand. And she would know that at the same time that you're blessing her life and her hand, that you're blessing the work through her husband and the team here. And we pray for Jennifer Stevens, Lord, that you would continue to encourage her with the word, that you would continue to encourage her with the, the way that you cause things to turn and that she would see and know with even greater confidence and that she would continue to live every day 
in what she already knows, that the joy of the Lord is her strength, Lord. And when we turn our attention, Lord, and we turn our, our focus to our team in India, Lord, we come before you and we stand in the strength and in the power that you've given us, Heavenly Father. And we, we again, we fall on our knees and we worship you and we praise you. And we are excited about what you're doing here, Lord. And we come before you and we just speak to those spirits that would stop them with the herds, that would stop them with anything else. Because our God reigns. Our God created all of those animals. Our God reigns over everything there. The weather, the volcanoes, the animals, and everything else. And we just speak to those things and we say, peace, be still. Our God has come to this family. He has sent these men. And they have come to bring the gospel to people who Jesus wants to save. And there is nothing that can stand in the way of that. We just prophesy this. We speak peace. We speak an incredible outpouring and outwelling of the Holy Spirit like, like God had been preparing this for ages. And now it just gushes out like... like Old yellow, like like old faithful, like Yellowstone. It just gushes out, and that the Holy Spirit pours out on these people, and that the foundation of an awesome, awesome body of Christ is birthed by these men, by their faithfulness, by their willingness to be vessels, and that anything that tries to stand in their way, that these men would know and would recognize and say. This is not of God, and just not allow that, and that they would press through and see the awesome thing that you have prepared for it. We speak this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe for awesome and wonderful things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is the will of God, that the humble should gather and pray, for his will be done to be done on the earth as it is in heaven. This is the will of God. We are the people of God. Amen. Amen.